You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. And there we go. We're now live. The Vicious Circle is live on the air. How you doing, Sid? Hey, hey, Rob. How you doing tonight, buddy? I, I am doing good. I see you messing with that light behind your head. I know. I'm trying. I've got to. Um, and I'll probably get some advice from you. I got to figure out a good backdrop for myself here. I like to show some of my stereo equipment, but I've got to put this. Maybe put a light in front of me or something. Oh, just to give you a You're, bit more accent. Now I you, don't know. It's just to give me a, just to have a better look. You know, I, I don't know if that light's glaring to you, but like your face looks pretty clear. Yeah. Well, see, now you look you very know, right angelic. Now, you look almost like an angel. You've got a halo over your head. That's it, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an effing angel. There we go. And holy smokes, we got tons of people uh, already coming in here. Uh, let me see. We'll start with Anthony. Hey, Robin Sid from Corpus Christi, Texas. Wow. Yes. And we got, uh, who is this one? Um, James or Jason. What's up, Sid? A lot of what's up, Sid. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I see that now. Hey, Jason, what's up, dude? Yes. And if just in case, uh, there's a there's a big fan of ours, Rob, out there. His name is Joe. I don't remember his last name, but he actually sent some, uh, either some Vienna sausages for my charity or he sent some vitamins for my charity some children's vitamins oh really and he calls me all the times and bugs the sh- he, he bugs the shit out of me <laughs> but he's um he's he, he's uh he moved from washington he's running away from the coronavirus he moved to indianapolis outside of there and start he works for a casino and all of a sudden now he's laid off you know he's trying to move to my house joe you can't come here <laughs> sorry so close so close yeah we got a ton of people so saying close. hey um, we're going to start out throwing out questions here. I got one for you though. Um, Dean, All right. or sorry, sorry, Jonathan, uh, O'Dwyer, we had him on for a question before he brought up the point and I got to watch a little bit of it, but, um, with WrestleMania now with, they had no audience, you know, they recorded everything in the, in the performance center. What is your opinion right. of, Oh, there's Jonathan right there. What is your opinion of how they're doing things now with no audience and, uh, you know, nobody to see what's going on? You don't have that feedback. Well, this is not to be a smart ass, but they didn't really have that big of crowds for their television tapings anyway. So it shouldn't be that big of a, you know, adjustment. They were already struggling for that. And, you know, you can sort of hear the crowds were a little bit tough. So, but this is what I look at, Rob. So that's your answer. I think they'll just have to get used to it. Um, I've said this before when they were in a situation like this, the WWF at the time, 
when they were taking over WCW, I said, you know, I just said this. I don't know if it makes any sense to you, <clears throat> but they had a chance, Rob, to actually start over. Okay. Mm-hmm. You didn't have any competition. You could have had a chance to start over. And, and not that you do this because people you, hear you say something, they, you know, glue you to that statement, but you could actually started off with a headlock being a finish. You know, I mean, you really could have done that. Yeah. So, um, their product looks like that might really do them some good to start over. Um, but that's the, I guess the answer to your question is they'll have to get used to it. They were already sort of used to that anyway. So if they have to go to crowds where they're separated, don't worry about putting them over in a, one corner. Um, now the, the good thing about wrestling, Rob, <clears throat> we adapt, you know, Vince is a, even though he does some really stupid stuff, he pretty smart guy. So he'll adapt as well. I think we've seen you, and I've talked about it. AEW has done a really good job of adapting. They started the um, no crowd thing first, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it. I saw them the other night. They are really adapting. Um, I'll tell you, I think if people, after a while, and I'll give you an example of myself. A couple of weeks ago, I come in on a Saturday night, and I don't even realize I'm watching UFC. And uh, I go to bed, wake up the next morning, I'm watching ESPN. I realized, I mean, I didn't realize, but they told me ESPN says that was a, a fight with not any fans there. I mean, I never missed it. Of course, you know, UFC is much different view of the crowd. But again, I didn't pay attention. I wasn't listening. I think we'll get used to that too. Now, um, they'll find ways to adapt and add the sound. AEW, what they're doing is pretty simple. Um, it's like a small independent show. They got eight or two and wrestlers out there at ringside doing the clap with somebody's grabbing a hold. And the thing is, we were always been taught already, Rob, is that, you know, you're not really working the people when you're doing television taping inside the arena. You're working all the people at home. So you're working that camera. So those guys will be used to that, you know. And then the, as a internet Sid would, you know, would have said something <laughs> smart ass like, again, they're already used to that because they don't have anyone there anyway. But <laughs> exactly. That's pretty true. <laughs> Well, it seems they're kind of doing that now because with WrestleMania, they had two different events. They had the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. I didn't see the Funhouse one yet, but the Boneyard one, I got to watch parts of, and it was Undertaker and AJ Styles in a cemetery, and it was shot like a movie. You know? You know, I didn't see it. I heard about, um, somebody told me, I only heard one person say something. And they said it was really horrible. And that's the only thing I heard about it. Really? Okay. I haven't watched the whole I mean, thing. Yeah. That was just. Oh, no. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, I just heard that. I've heard one person say something to me about it. And they said they just didn't think it was that good. Really? Okay. I'm going to finish watching it. You would think it would be it. good. AJ Styles was a really good kid. He's a good worker. You would think that it would be okay for what they were in that. That's a tough match anyway. You know. Was it in a graveyard? Yeah, it was in a cemetery. Yeah, right. So that's a tough one. That's been done, what, 2,000 times already? But I thought it was cool, the beginning at least, because it felt like a movie, like the angles they used and all that. It didn't feel like a wrestling match. It felt like you were watching an action movie. There you go. So they might be adapting. Well, Rob, we know this about the WWE, too, is that almost all their matches are like that. It's all scripted. You know, every, every little step's taken out. I mean, it's planned for you. Every word, every verb, every motion of the head, you know, you know what the other person is doing. There's no, you know, playing off each other. So they're sort of used to that. Uh, Hopefully it works. 
Um, I just had one here and I lost it because it loaded the feed. Let me get back up here. But uh, it was announced today that uh, actually Howard Finkel passed away. Yeah, I think it was a couple of days ago. I was going to say that too. What a nice guy. Now, someone said that he had had a stroke. What's your favorite movie uh, memories about Howard Finkel? You know, when, um, this is Howard. You know, of course, uh, he was really a super nice guy, um, a gentleman. You know, I'm sure he had to be put in some bad positions. I know he was with me. I hated shaving, Rob. And if I got a fever blister or something like that, I wouldn't shave. And so Vince didn't want to tell me to shave, so he always sent Howard to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, Howard, Howard, don't bug me about shaving, man. You know, but uh, I knew that's where it was coming from. Yeah. You know, Howard's a good guy, man. I'm, I'm sure everyone there misses him. I'm sure the McMahon family, um, just everyone. I'm uh, my buddy Bruno. Um, you know, you just, I never, my whole life, I've never heard a bad word about Howard Finkel. I don't think I've ever seen any bad promos with him either. Like he always, even when he's a ring announcer, he was a consummate professional. Yeah. At constant, just always super nice guy. Excellent. Uh, who do we have here? Uh, it looks like Donald always loved your promos. WrestleMania eight was classic with mean gene. WrestleMania eight. Yeah. What did I, uh, there were so many with mean gene that I had, that were really classics, man. Um, I'm trying to think which one. Uh, this again, so many with him. Uh, WrestleMania eight, before that, after that, when WCW, he was good, man. Mean Gene Oakland. Yeah. Hey, no, listen real quick before I forget this. I think I was telling you, maybe it wasn't. I was watching Dark Side of the Ring the other night, mm-hmm. one about Jimmy Snooker, and at the end of it, they have a little show called um, After Dark. You know, and it was uh, it was. That was after darkest questions with other people, you know, and this what happens. The two people they were talking to after the show was um, the guy, the, the reporter who reported the story, uh, Greg Valentine and Brian Nobbs. Now, it being Jimmy Snuka and Brian Nobbs, all those names missed there together. I'll give everyone a story about those two. We were in WCW and I, my stuff, my rooms and stuff always paid for. Somehow or another, I ended up with two rooms, so I give Brian one of my rooms. And that was a television taping. And that night, they had all the old-timers. Most of them were from WWF. Uh, George Steele, um, you know, Jimmy Snooker, all of them. I can't remember. There was a whole ring full of them. And um, so I always would go get in Brian's room before I left because I'd always leave before he left. You know, we'd fly out to go home. He'd actually get a later flight because he's so lazy. Uh, so I'd, you know, change his, you know, his wake-up call, and I'd go into the room and turn the heat all the way up. Or if it was wintertime, <laughs> I'd turn the air conditioner all the way up and leave, you know? And he'd always call me when I go home, like, you asshole. But um, I went in and did that. I went in and did that. And they, he was covered up. I didn't know who was in there with him. And then I turned the heat on. I went and ate breakfast, come back. So I'm thinking he's going to be awake, you know? I go in and I open the key. I took the key open. I opened up the door. I go in there, so I'm going to pull the covers back and look at him. It's him and Jimmy Snooker laying in bed like this with their little hands, or, you know, hands. <laughs> You know, up in their chin like this, and they were just sweating their guts out. They were in the same bed, dead asleep, you know. <laughs> oh, man. See, that's a road story moment right there. That is it. Now, I know I loved Jimmy like everyone does. I never knew that. I never heard that story. I can't believe. And of course, Rob, I've told you this. I don't ask people questions. I really don't know the stories. You know what I mean? This tells you that I'm telling the truth of it. I, I never heard that story one time, you know. Now, what I don't believe about it is that Brian do it. Brian is such a, a he, like, I can't, 
like if he knows knows something on you, like I'm trying to think of something. But if he knew something on you, every time he sees you, he reminds you of it. And I can't believe he didn't do that to Jimmy Snooker every time we were together. It had to be out of respect or fear, you know. Maybe. Or um, just was, was it always... mentioned in front of people? Well, that too. But we were together, me and Brian and Jerry and Mike Rotunda and all so many of us. We were together so much. I, you know, you know, just you know, hanging out, riding, making road trips. I would have thought he would have told me that, you know. Yeah. Well, some, a lot of people knew it. I'm sure Scott Hall knew about it. But everybody assumes you know everything, which I don't. Everybody knows that. Sometimes it's better that way. Yeah. It is for me, Rob. It, it works. It worked for me. I didn't know anything. I didn't want to know anything, you know, um, and it worked out. Here's a question. Um, because of the, the incident happened on Wednesday with WWE releasing all of that talent, what do you think of all uh, those layoffs? Well, it probably came from a lot of things, just shutting down the television. Uh, of course, it doesn't help your cause when you just went bankrupt on another failed football scheme. You know, everybody knew that was coming. So now I don't know this. We don't know this, but we know everybody in the world, Rob, you and I know this. Everybody, every business in the world is hurting right now. Yep. And we know that that market is hurting too. And it was already hurting before this. Yeah. So if you were hurting already in an existing market, and you took a market that you failed from the moment to the end, you were in that market like football. And now, you know, everything's taken away from you. Um, Rob, this is, it could be one of those things, like uh, they say about the restaurant business, that the wrestling business might not ever be the same, you know? Yeah. This might be a good time for them to get out of it, you know, and Disney take over it or something. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know. No, I, I agree with you on that. It This, this is going to change the landscape of a lot of things. Right. Rob, you know, we talk about this, and um, again, we'll see. You know, they're talking maybe next year before a live event, so yeah, what will they do till then? That's going to be kind of scary, actually. But we no, gotta... I, hope, I don't want that to happen, Rob, and I don't want to sound like that for a second, not to cut you off. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't want that to happen, and um, again, it's just um, we don't even want to think that could happen, but again, it's a very big possibility. Yep. No, you're hey, I want another shout out to Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray and I had a funny, we had a great time talking the other day. I was coming back from, um, I'd been out of town for half a day. Um, I went down south and came back and we had a long top of, talk about podcasts and stuff like that. And he told me what he was doing with uh, Vince Russo. And I told him a few stories about my book, about when I came home and when I'd be walking to the house, and I'd see the house about, you know, last six or eight houses. And the one thing I was thinking as a kid, I was thinking, Man, just I'm hoping when I get home, I at least might have a mayonnaise sandwich. And Stevie thought that was so funny. We laughed for about 30 minutes over that one story. He's a great guy. I, I, yeah, no, he, he, he is, man. Uh, we've got Brenda that says hello from West Memphis. That's like knocking on your door practically. Yeah, man. Hey, Brenda, what's going on, girl? Doing all right. And we have another one here from Karen. Who said, uh, hey, Sid and Rob, hope you're both doing well. LA comments like Karen, that. we hope you're doing well too, man. Okay, here, Wesley's got one. Um, we had talked about this too. It's about the leg break. Whose idea was it for you to jump off that rope? It was my, um, it was from a midget. Worked as a person. He worked under a hood, okay? Uh, he had no name. And he was just in the dressing room. And why he was in the dressing room, I do not know. But he just comes over to me and says, hey, man, 
I've got a hell of a spot for you. So what is it? Of course, I called him Shorty. He was offended. And he said, jump off the second rope. And I took it as an insult that he would challenge me to that. And that's sort of how that happened. Is that how that happened? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm loving that story. <laughs> <laughs> we need those little action figures of the midget in the hood now. That's what we need. I know. I know, man. That, that guy followed me everywhere I went. <laughs> really? Like Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Beetlejuice under hood. And the thing about it, Rob, this guy could be one day a midget and he could work as Andre the Giant the second day. But he still was a midget. And how he did that, I do not know. Everybody was shocked about it. Again, he never had a name. No one knew who he was. He'd just be there sometimes, if that makes any sense to anyone. Oh, a midget that sometimes was seven foot just showed up in our dressing room. He was, would suggest things for you to do. He was a tall midget. It's crazy. But that's <laughs> a, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, let me see. Steve says, I just watched Richard Hertz. His name was Richard Hertz. Big Richard Hertz. Big Richard Hertz. There we go. Uh, Steve mentioned, I just watched old wrestling when Sid was Lord Humongous. Any memories from those days? Man, I, that probably was my best memories of my wrestling career. That's when, of course, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know there was jealousy. I didn't know anything but just getting up and making an everyday road trip, listening to music and working out and, you know, um, Laughing at Bruno, you know, picking his nose while he's eating boogers, you know, just the whole stuff. It was just every day was just fun, man. Um, didn't even know how lucky I was. You know, got to work with Danny Davis about the whole time I was there. You know, I worked with him in the opening program, and then Doug Furness got hurt, and then he took his place, and then the next guy got hurt. And I, he took it was just working with Danny Davis was a night off every night. Um, it was, man, I swear it was just, um, it was a lot of fun. Did my first nip up as a wrestler in David Woods' living room. He was the owner of uh, Continental. And this is a true story, Robin. Now, I was off one night. I can't believe I have a night off. So he says he wanted me to come over and hang out with him and his wife and kids. And I said, man, I've got a move I've been working on. So I did a nip up in his living room. And I was Lord Humongous. I did it the next day at a television. I should have done it. But I did that at a television taping. Now, when I worked with Hogan at WrestleMania, I'm at the desk signing in at the hotel. Guy tapped me on my shoulders, David Woods, the owner. I said, What are you doing here? He goes, Man, I come here to watch you. <laughs> the owner, his dad, his dad was named Charles Wood, which was a multimillionaire. He was an entrepreneur, owned like 200, 300 radio and television stations across the country. He came out of World War II with only one eye. His whole body was completely burned and started with a construction company and become this unbelievable, you know, entrepreneur, just big time. Runs for, he just passed away in the last couple of years. Ran for governor all the time of Alabama. We lived from Dothan. Again, just as I know, they they actually offered me to stay at their house when I was in Dothan working on Saturday nights. Oh wow! You know, just nice people. Yeah. So I was a shout out just in case David Woods at Montgomery the television station at the time was WCOV TV. If you still have that, David, and you're all still around, shout out to you, and don't show up at any more of my matches. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Okay. Please, you creep me out, man. Now we got Eric. Uh, what was your best opponent with whom you have worked in your career in WCW or WWF? Man, I'm going to stick with what I've said this whole time. At bam, bam, Bigelow. Yeah. Um, it just it was a it, just everything about it, man. It was a night off. It was a learning experience. Um, he was a workhorse. You know, other than 
you know, he also moved really fast for a big guy, him and Vader, but you sort of felt like you weren't moving sometimes. But uh, actually, Bam Bam, I told the story to you, Rob, where he took me off the whipping post. Remember me telling you that? Yeah. started at Royal Albert Hall in England where people were saying I couldn't take a turnbuckle anymore. And so I, um, now the thing was, Rob, I admit to this, I wasn't taking turnbuckles because I wasn't, I didn't need to. So I had Carl Willette, we're at Royal Albert Hall. He, he showed me how to take one. And I did to where the point I actually made the ring move. And we did a spot coming out of that. Then Bam Bam would catch me with the clothesline out of the, over the top of the, over the top to the floor, which I just learned. I didn't have to do stuff like that. And we went from that night, by the end of the tour, I was the best worker in the business after the end of that tour. And it was really Bam Bam that got me there. That's awesome. Not that I couldn't work, Rob, because I can. Now, th- as far as uh, psychology, I learned, I've told you this, I learned how to just stand there and grab a hold without ever touching you. And not many people can do that, Rob. So if you can do that, do that, okay? Because um, I was tough on myself. And, you know, the physical part was already there, you know. So, again, if you can do it, do it. Yeah, and if but if you get two good workers together, it's magic. It is. It is. It is, man. It was like that with uh, Vader as well. It was always like that with um, Sean and Sting, you know. But I, I think the greatest matches i've had was with bigelow there we go austin he said he goes sid i want you in my corner when i wrestle for wwe austin gilliard austin i'll be there man there we go uh here's one from tyler and he was wondering uh when it loads up who are some of the guys from wwe you still keep in touch with well, it actually comes from WWF. And I see a lot of these guys. I can name all of them at these autograph signings. And we that's what I really, Rob, I've told you this, is I really enjoy those things right now more than ever for that very reason. Um, sometimes it's sad a little bit to see some of the guys, but it's good. And I, I think it's, it's again, I, I've enjoyed it more the last couple of years than I ever have before. Um, but it's always fun when I see uh, Marty Gennetti. I uh, always see him all the time. I see um, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. It's good to see those guys. Um, but you see everybody because you, you know, you go to these things three, four, five, ten times a year, you know. Um, but I do keep in touch with the Carl Willette out of Montreal. You know, he was one of my best friends in the business. Um, and Doug Gilbert, who I, uh, we, we travel still quite a bit together. Talked to him just the other day. We, me and him, the only people I know that are up, always up at four in the morning. You know, he'll call me or I'll call him sometime. That is so cool. Here's one from Pete. Remember my cousin, we came down to visit you. Um, if you hey, could, Pete. if you could have one last match, which opponent would you pick? Wow. Man, I don't know, Rob. Um, that's, that is tough. Cause there's a lot of good talent from before. There's a lot of good talent now. Well, that's when I say there's good talent now. I don't know if anybody I've worked up with before that I couldn't, you know, of course, you'd have to think Brock Lesnar, you know, um, I think that would be a, a good draw, a good, a good, you know, um, I think that would be a good one. That would be good, actually. Okay, we've got one from Jim Hall here. This looks like a memory. I also, the guy that just asked me the question, what was his name, Jim? I mean, uh, what was it? That was Pete. Before that? Oh, before oh, yeah, that? Pete, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. No, who was that just uh, answered that question to? That Pete? was Pete. Pete. Okay, Pete, don't hog up my airtime. Call me on my cell phone, okay? Right. 
<laughs> he never learns. Uh, here's one from Jim. Here's a flashback for you, sir. My first match I ever saw you in person was as Lord Humongous at Gilly's Arena in Pasadena, Texas. Oh, my God. I don't care who you whooped that night, but I was in awe. Thanks for the memories. All right. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm pretty sure of this, Rob. That wasn't me. I've never been to Gilly's Arena, and not as Lord Humongous and not as Sid Vicious either. Uh, no, no, there's other Lord Humonguses, unfortunately. I was just the worst of all the Lord Humonguses. That's what I was told. Um, that's what they said in the booking sheets. That's what. That's when Rob Fuller came to me and says, Well, Sid, now, do you read those booking sheets, boy? I said, No, Rob, I don't. Well, listen, I don't want you to. Let me tell you what. The guy writing that thing, he don't know a damn thing about this business. And he's saying right now that you're the worst Lord Humongous that ever did that gimmick. Now, Sid, I'm here to tell you this. You're going to be something in this business one day. Trust me. And so from that day, and not that I ever had at that point, I never picked up one of those sheets. I did what Rob said. Don't look at it. Don't. You got to look for someone like that to be a, you know, prove you say, keep moving on in this business. You're probably in the wrong business. That's what I said. And so, um, turn my phone off. But so again, um, no, that was probably someone else, Jim. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's the problem. I was just gonna say, that's the problem when you have someone in a mask, you can never be 100% sure, you know? Right. I see you're wearing your mask, your your COVID nineteen mask, oh, Jim. I'm very proud of you. Yes, that's very good. Very proud of you. Very proud of you. Let's see here. As John, Donald Trump said, Jim, you look really good. I'm very proud of you. Good mask. That's right. Go. Here is one from Gabriel. Uh, he says, "Hey Sid, will you ever return to the WWE, but not to wrestle once the virus is gone? Because we did have someone comment earlier that you would make an amazing manager." No, I think I would too, Rob. I had a couple ideas about doing that. One is, uh, this is what I've said, and we've talked about this a little bit before. I don't think there's anyone out there that could probably be any more qualified than I am, and that I could take someone, you wouldn't want to waste it on a lot of different people, but I could take someone and put them exactly where I was in this business because I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and, of course, I don't know if they would. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. No, it would be nice sometimes, um, Gabriel, but uh, you never know. That's just it. Now, this one struck my interest. I just spotted the name as I was going through. Chojo, uh, Tojo Yamamoto Jr. And he says, I you wrestled you and survived. He did. I wrestled him and his brother a couple of times. It was me and Scott Hall. We, uh, um, that's when I was, t- I was taping. And you, I'm going to hit you one day, Ron, for this. I was taping that horrible documentary I did called the... Um, the promotion that you hated so bad. Oh, I remember that one. Why did we watch that? Remember that one? Yeah, I know. So anyway, he was part of that taping. Just didn't get any airtime. But him, him and his brother worked against me and Scott. Then we went up to, um, good God, man, somewhere on a road trip, like 2,000 miles from here up in Illinois somewhere, and wrestled him and his brother at some little show. But we had a good time. Excellent. Tojo, how you doing, buddy? He just had an open-heart surgery, had a five-druple bypass, and just got out of the hospital again um, with uh, fluid on his lungs. Tojo, we hope you're doing well out there. Yeah. Our prayers are out to you and your family. Stay in. Keep your mask on. You're one of these people that are on that, you know, um, what, do they, what do they call it, Rob, when you are uh, got past oh. history of you know, health issues. Don't 
don't get out there, Tojo. We don't yeah. want to see that happen. Definitely at risk. Stay home. And, yeah. At risk. You're in the high risk situation. Stay home and get well. And here's Lenny. Memories of your stretcher match with El Gigante. You know, that was probably one of the worst nights of my life. No, one of the worst matches, too, Rob, in my career. Right up there with the Nighthawk. Uh, what, no, not Nighthawk. It was the oh, that wow. other guy. I can't remember his name. But, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Yes. Anyway, um, actually, everyone agrees with me. I've actually somehow had about the worst five worst matches in this business. Um, I can, I'm proud of, I'm proud of saying that, but no, um, what that was is, um, in, in, in the beginning, I was to put him on that stretcher and stretcher him out. But when Dusty finally got into the WCW to take over, that's when I made that big decision to go to WWF. And so to get out of my contract and be able to go up there, I had to put him on the stretcher and let, you know, and then that was my last match at night. Oh, that was too. That's so right. again, yeah, it was. So again, it just wasn't a good memory. I had, it was a, you know, it's tough leaving there. Uh, of course, now it's a big regret. So it just, man, everything about it is just a kick in the teeth. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to play the, or put these two back to back because we have Sean that says, come back to Toronto. And then right after right. that, this kind of fits in. It's uh, uh, Emilio says, what was your favorite city when you were on the road? Man, uh, New York. Um, for so many reasons, the city itself, Madison Square Garden was my favorite place. I think it has to be everyone's favorite place to go to. So, um, New York City, man. Yeah, the big. That's where everything happened. It was everything. Was, everything happened for me there. Gotcha. Here's another one for you, um, from Steve Solette. What's the most Sid ever bench pressed? Four eighty-five, and that was before my lung surgery, and what you know. Of course, there's very few pictures of me at that time, but the few I saw, I didn't have any personally, was when I looked my, my best. This one, not that you, know, you would know what I'm talking about, Rob, or anyone else, but I could do chin-ups with like three or four 45-pound plates attached to me, and I was weighing 330 myself, so that's uh, another 150 pounds, you know? Yeah. I had really thick back. I had a really, I had a, of course, I had a 385 uh, power clean standing, you know, so I was real explosive. And I had a long distance, but four six four sixty five, four eighty five, and I wasn't a great bench presser, you know. So you were halfway to my bench press, almost. <laughs> we got one from Kyle here. Uh, Kyle just says his birthday is Sunday, and just want to know if you could wish him a happy birthday. No, Kyle, I cannot. No. So sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Cal, happy birthday <laughs> to you. I don't, should we sing? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Cal. Happy birthday to you. There we go. Now that's a keepsake right there. there. <laughs> right, there you go. Now, Stan came back. Uh, he said, there's an old rumor Vince wanted to make Sid the next Hulk Hogan, but Sid wanted to be a monster heel. How true is that? No, it's not true. What happened is this, is uh, when I first came in, was talking to Vince, and he said, this is not, he goes, Sid, if I give you the magic wand, what do you want? I said, I want Hogan's spot. He goes, it's yours. I just made the suggestion, you know, um, I didn't know what they were doing, what he had planned for me. This is my first thing. I'm just, you know, asking. I said, because uh, I was over really good as a heel. 
And we always were told that you have a longer run if you're heel first and then turn baby face. So why? And it was already happening anyway. You know, I was already being cheered as a baby face. So it wouldn't it wouldn't have been that big of a jump. So I just mentioned it. And, and then what happens, Rob, when I gave my notice to Vince and hurt his feelings and everybody else got mad at me, then they brought that out that I didn't want that spot. That's not the truth. I wanted the spot, but that's what I was promised. And because I didn't get it is why I, was, I pretty much left. Well, again, it wasn't that. It was just everything went south. It was a, he'd get rid of the warrior. I, I, no, I was supposed to come in and only do TVs and pay-per-views for one year. I'm not tired of repeating the story. And um, then they had to fire the warrior at SummerSlam. They could tell me, okay, you know, you're going to just start filling in. And if anyone tells me that that's a push, you don't know anything about this business, okay? So I, I don't get the push. I don't get my money. And so and nothing's happening. I got a grown man, Hulk Hogan, crying. Because people were booing him and cheering me. I, I, that's when I walked in. It was at Albany. I walked in. Was, I couldn't get Vince to even shake my hand. I said, Vince, I just want you to shake your hand. I, I'm out of here. I can't put up with this anymore. And um, everybody knows that story. Well, it, it almost sounds like it's combining two, too. Because I remember there was one ta- one point there was talk. Let, you- let, me give it, let me answer that real quick, though, uh, Rob. Go for this it. This is the deal. Is, I wasn't going to be the next Hogan, I was Sid Vicious. And if I'm getting cheered over him, that says that I was already a step above him. Okay. And it happened every, the rest of our career. Every time we got around each other, it happened like that. So again, and it's nothing against anyone. Rob is just, I had more facets of my character than he had to his, you know, it was just say your prayers and uh, take your vitamins. And everybody knows that. And you have a match like Curly off the three stooges. And when you're limiting yourself like that, you're handcuffing yourself like that. And you know, Rob, I'm not a person to handcuff myself. Then mm-hmm. the person that doesn't handcuff themselves, they pass you up. Pretty easy. Well, too, there was that one story where uh, Vince wanted to turn your face, like a baby face, and you said, don't you think I would be a better heel? I remember that story, and it kind of sounds like it's a mixture of those two stories. Well, no, I just said, Rob, that story never happened. He never asked me if I wanted to be. I was coming in to be a baby face, and oh. I was being turned as a baby face already in WCW. I just said that. That move has already started. Okay. Okay. So when he he asked me, I just said to him, I said, I said, well, I said, uh, he asked me what I want. I said, here's the magic wand. What do you want? I said, I want Hogan's spot. He goes, okay, it's yours. And I said, because Hogan's still there. I don't know what they're doing. And you don't just give someone their notice overnight. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to probably, I was, I was supposed to beat Hogan. This was the deal. I was supposed to beat Hogan at WrestleMania for the belt and then go into my first house show the next day. So one year I would do TVs and pay-per-views. I'm going to repeat myself one more time. And then after that, go into my first house show. That would have been automatic success, Rob. Not saying you don't, but you don't know anything about this business. Not as much as you need to know. That would have been, okay? Mm -hmm. That would have been hot, hot, hot. Um, Because that had never been done before, not to that extent. And that's okay. Now I'm going to go for one year and I get paid to get this done. So I was waiting for the big, no, I'm working on percentage. I was guaranteed one show for one year for $250. I passed up three quarters of a million dollars for that, Rob. I don't know if, if that tells you anything about me or not. But again, that is uh, what happened there. I wasn't asking to be a hill. I'm just saying I'm a pretty good hill. You know, and, and, and then when you're working in the Northeast that much, you don't really have to change yourself that much. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been a big change, Rob. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Well, as you've always said, too, the fans know what they want, whether it's heel or babyface. They know what they want. Right, man. 
All right, we got Christopher here who mentioned uh, the match. Or is it here? I enjoyed your match when Piper was refereeing and you were against, uh, between Jarrett and Hall. And I said, thank you very much for your hard work. I still enjoy every match. Well, man, I appreciate it. Uh, when you're working with people like Roddy Piper or Scott Hall, it's a night off. Uh, as much headache Scott is as a person, sometimes he's a great guy to work with. And Piper is just a good guy as well. Okay. Let me see. I'm going to find one more quick question here. Uh, we have one from Edna. Oh, I don't think this is a question. I uh, just wanted to say hi to my cousin, Sid. My name is Edna, and I am Uncle Grady's daughter. Oh, wow. Uh, hey, hey, Edna, how you doing? Uh, I don't get to talk to my cousins that much. Uh, my Uncle Grady is a really cool guy. He's, he's, or he's no longer with us. Him and his brother, William, were my great uncles, and um, some of the best memories of the kid. I think I'll tell you the story. I told you the story. If not, I'll tell you the story. Actually, my Uncle Grady and Uncle William had come through Memphis, and they picked me up to take me to uh, Michigan. That's where they lived in Pontiac. My grandparents were up there with my Aunt Joyce, who was a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went up there for the summer in between the fourth and fifth grade. Now, all my cousins on Grady and William, Uncle Grady and William's sons were, I think between them, they had five or six, six or seven uh, sons. And I, they were from six, four to seven foot, just big guys and good guys and everything. So I went up there and one night, me and Gary had, Hedrick was my age, and Gary was a few years older than us. We told his mother, uh, Aunt Pearl, um, that we were going to camp out in the backyard, so we snuck off, and we went hitchhike. We were, I didn't know that we were going to score drugs at this park. So the guy pulls over to pick us up. Now, again, I'm in the going to fourth or fifth grade, and Hedrick is the same, and Gary's a couple years older. So we go jump in the front seat with this guy pull over to get us, and he says, no, two of you getting back. He said, I just stole this car. <laughs> and I look down and see the wires crossed over. And I'm going, whoa. So we get in the back seat. Now we take, get back on the road. Now, dude pulls out a wooden flute and starts playing it uh, out the window. <laughs> I'm going, oh my God, a wooden flute. And so we get, we pull over. This is like out of the Cheech and Chong. We pull over, we walk into this park. It's dark. Walk up to what? A van. The door slides open. We give my money. We get our drugs. We take the drugs, whatever it is. I think, I think maybe a Valium. I'm not sure. And as soon as we take it, here comes the cops with the dogs, helicopters, and everything. Big parking place. So we go in the woods. We hide. It calms down. We get back to my, my cousin's house, my Uncle uh, William's house, Uncle Grady. And um, my Aunt Pearl could tell that there's something wrong with me. So she brings me and starts talking to me. Because I'd fallen down the basement stairs. That was one thing. So it was a red flag. And then uh, I'll never forget this. Because, Rob, you know, music is a big part of my life. Yes. So I'm in there. And she's looking at me. She's trying to figure me out. And what sort of got her off the thing. It was, I think it's Midnight Special or Ed Kirshner's, uh, with Ed Kirshner or whatever he, the show he did on ABC. It was Alice Cooper. And it was the school's out for summer. And that was the first time I did drugs. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Edna... I hope that story didn't uh, embarrass you, but um, that's how it happens sometimes. You that's know? I I don't know what I would do if I was in a car, a stolen car, and a guy pulls out a flute. Okay, a that, stolen car, a wooden flute. That's crazy. A flute, man. I was, like, I was like, no way, this is happening, man. Okay. But it was now. That's the thing is, I told you about this book I'm writing. I've gotten myself in some really crazy situations. Yeah. I think they're funny. I don't think there's anything wrong with that story. Well, honestly, you it's know. it's. 
it's not something a lot of us have done, but not something a lot of us haven't no. thought of. Okay. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I'll bring up one more question here. Uh, let me click on this one. What does this one say? Uh, from Danny Miller. If you could have wrestled one of the Von Eriks, which one would you pick and why? That's a good one to end on. Well, I did wrestle Carrie. I, I did wrestle Carrie Von Erich, and uh, believe it or not, that was a big game change for me in my life too. In my wrestling career, uh, I'm not sure what was happening. Memphis and and uh, world class was merging. I was working Memphis a little bit, and this is before I got my break at WCW. Um, and Carrie came in. I went down to to the Sportatorium. I think I worked with him in a match, and then I want to say maybe I worked with him here, but then. I, I think I went to WCW. I think he went to WWF right after that. And then we crossed paths in actually in WWF when we got to ride together a little bit. But uh, I, I did get to work with Kerry. And I'll tell you guys, this is the thing about it. Kerry was a big draw before people were drawn like that. You know, when he was a, just a kid there in Texas, those shows they had at that, that Texas stadium, man, nobody did that to that point. So he was big money before anybody was big money. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I, gotta that, I mean, that's the truth, man. All right, I got to put this up just before we end it. This is back from Edna. She goes, thank you. Love you. <laughs> Love you too, Edna. Tell everybody I said hi. Uh, I'm going to say this one last embarrassing story. I remember one time at Christmas, all the guys on Grady's and William's side, their, their sons, they all had sent me cards for Christmas, and they all came from jail. They all was in jail at the same time with Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> they must have had some amazing food Great. in there. <laughs> Now, listen, Rob, I've told you this. I've been arrested twice in one night on two different occasions, and I am very proud of that. Um, who can get arrested twice and get out twice before midnight? Right. Know? That is a skill, I mean, man. I, I still, I'm, still, I'm still proud of that. I, I always say it. That is a skill. It All right. Is, we'll throw this up. Well, this... The judge told me that's the first time he'd heard that on the docket in over 100 years. So, I mean, that, that tells you. That's you know, a skill. <laughs> Uh, John Seneca said, you are the greatest big man that the wrestling business has ever seen. For me, Sid will always rule the world. Much respect. John, salute, brother. Thank you very much. I love hearing things like that. That's what makes me makes me believe or makes me think I do know what I'm talking about a little bit. And I, do, I do think I worked hard enough. That I hear, I, And I do hear that statement. Rob, you've been around me enough to hear people say that before, too. And it's not that you know, other people don't hear that as well, but I hear that a lot, and it it makes me feel good about all the hard work and everything that I might even be going through today. That's excellent. Well, Sid, man, thank you so much for doing this. This live podcast is always so much fun because we get to talk to the people, you know? Oh yeah. I love this, Rob. I love this. Alrighty. So everybody, we are going to end this for now, but we'll see you next time we do this. Okay, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for all your questions. Thanks for tuning in to a vicious circle. And we're looking forward to talking to you guys another time. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.